Amen. Well, welcome to church. It's so good to have you here this morning. I hope you're ready for God's word because I believe he's about to speak to us. I believe that God has a word for us this morning, so I'm excited to jump into that. But first, I just want to say if you're new with us, uh, you're welcome to church. I know we've said that multiple times, but we're glad you're here, and we pray that you'd feel warmly welcome this morning. And before we jump into the message today, I just want to say I am pumped for Friday night with the party in the park. It is going to be a good time. I got to meet Nicole at the party in the park last year for the first time and a lot of other people, so I'm praying that that would happen again this year, uh, that there'd be new friends that come in. So if there's some friends you have that you've been trying to invite to church and maybe they're a little bit weirded out by a Sunday morning service, I think they might be more prone to come to a party in a park where there's free food, okay? They can grab the food and go hang out on the playground if they want to. I don't care, but, but invite them uh, to come on Friday. And also, I just really believe this is going to be a great time to connect with one another. We've been in church for about a year now. Uh, we're going to celebrate our one-year anniversary in September. And I believe that God's bringing us deeper together and that stuff like the party in the park is an opportunity for us to grow closer together. So I pray that you'll be there and you'll join me as we party hard in the park. All right, so when Emily and I were 22, we moved back to Cedar Falls to, or to re-pioneer the Chi Alpha Campus ministry at UNI. And at that time, we had about a dozen students involved in the ministry, and we had a big dream in our hearts to see Chi Alpha strengthened on the campus so we could reach uh, students with the gospel. And in the first couple of months, it was honestly very lonely for me. I was in senior leadership at a very young age, and as the saying goes, it's very, it's very lonely at the top. Emily was in graduate school at the time and was working part-time, so I had a lot of time alone in our apartment to, uh, to plan messages and strategize for Chi Alpha. And after a few months of living here, we got the great idea uh, to get a cat. Emily always wanted a cat, and I needed someone to keep me company during the day. I needed a friend. So we went and got our first cat named Franklin. He's a beautiful little, well, he's huge, actually, a beautiful, huge cat. And, and we gave him so much attention in those first years. It was it was actually ridiculous how much attention we gave him. We would frame photos of him and put them on our walls. I would post on my Instagram like once a week about Franklin. And then a year later, we got another cat named Oliver who's an orange cat. I, would, I personally always wanted an orange cat, so we got Oliver. And then we had to share the love and attention with Oliver that Franklin got. And, and Franklin was, you know, he struggled a bit in those first few days, but they eventually became best buddies. And, and we still gave both of them a lot of attention, even as we had two. But, but fast forward two years later, and we had our first child named Jane. Maybe you've met her before. Sometimes she's uh, going crazy, running around in church. She's in the kids' wing right now. I went back to the bathroom, and I heard her screaming back there, and I, I ran back into the auditorium, but I'm just kidding. But, uh, <laughs> but we got Jane, and then we had another child two years later. And let's just say we, we stopped uh, treating our cats like children, and we started treating them more like cats. They didn't get as much attention as they got before. And as Emily read this part of my sermon last night, she always reads my sermons before I give them to make sure I don't say anything stupid. Uh, she was reading it last night. She's like, make sure you tell them we're still good cat owners, okay? So the point is we still give them some attention. We pet them once in a while, but just not as much as we used to. We do our best to take good care of them, but it's hard to find time to spend time with our cats these days as we have two crazy children now. And our cats have become kind of desperate for our attention. It's gotten so bad with Oliver, the youngest orange chubby cat, uh, when we first got him, he would, hardly even, or he would hardly even sit on the same piece of furniture as us, but now he like always wants to be on the same piece of furniture as us. So like at night, it'd be like midnight, 1230, and I'm laying there trying to sleep, and all of a sudden I hear, he jumps up on the bed, and he starts coming, like doing this all the way up to me, trying to get me to pet him. I'm like, bro, back off, okay? I don't want that much. 
I need a little bit of space, okay, buddy? But uh, but point is, they are desperate for our love, our affirmation, and our attention. And as much as I'm being a little bit funny, we are all looking for love and affirmation. We're all looking for the love and affirmation that Franklin and Oliver so badly crave. And we want someone who is stronger and bigger than us to love us and value us. We want someone to be proud of us. In our early years, we most need this love and attention and affirmation from our parents. Our connection with our parents or lack thereof can dramatically affect our ability to connect with other people and become healthy, functioning adults. And we have a basic fundamental need to be loved and affirmed by those who created us. Our relationships with, or with them can dramatically affect the course of our lives. And the sad reality, and I know this is kind of a tense subject, the sad reality is many of us were not affirmed and loved by our parents, and we still feel the pain of that today. Or maybe we were, but we still carry baggage from those relationships anyways. But the beautiful thing is, this does not have to dictate our future. If we can get our relationship right with our Heavenly Father, we can find the affirmation and love we need in Him. When we identify with Jesus and become His followers, we become children of God. And all the things that are true about God's son, Jesus, become true of us. Instead of being separated from him, God can look at us and say, you are my beloved. In you, I am delighted. We can have this kind of relationship with God that our cats want with us. And why is this possible? Well, N.T. Wright says it this way. And N.T. Wright's a Bible scholar. He's a very smart guy, and he's also British, and he has a great accent, so it makes him even smarter. He says this. It's true for one simple but very profound reason. Jesus is the Messiah, and the Messiah represents his people. And what is true of him is true of them. Okay, so Jesus, he came to do what we could never do and be who we could never be. He came to defeat the powers of death and sin and truly live as God's son on the earth. And when we trust in him, just like he did, we overcome death and sin and we become God's kids. And, and when God looks at us, he doesn't see our junk, but he sees a child of him. He doesn't see a rebel, but he sees a son or a daughter. He can now call us his beloved child, and that should change everything. Okay, so with that said, our sermon title for this week is Heaven is Open. Okay, heaven is open. With the coming of Jesus, heaven begins to break into earth. And Instead of being alienated from God and powerless to be the people that he's called us to be, we can be adopted by God and receive the spirit of God. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 1. We're going to continue our study in Mark, and we're now in our third week of Mark. So far, we've seen in verse 1, we talked about that in the first week, verse 1, we saw that the book is going to be about Jesus and the good news that he is the Messiah and the Son of God. And then last week, we did verses 2 through 8. And we saw that John the Baptist prepares the way for Jesus by calling us to repent and turn from our old ways. And now we're going to actually meet Jesus in the narrative for the first time. And last week we left off with Mark 1, 8, where, it's, where John said that Jesus will come and he will baptize or immerse us with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so now right after saying that, we pick it up in verse 9. Let's read it. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, and with you I am well pleased. 
All right, let's pray over this. Jesus, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for every heart in this room. God, we thank you for what's going on in our youth ministry, in our kids' ministry, in the entire next generation. And God, we pray that your spirit would just speak this morning through this message. We pray that your spirit would speak in the kids' ministry and that this would be a day where we don't just do church, but we truly encounter you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm excited for this. Are you ready? I'm really pumped about this message. I gave it once already, but, but I'm feeling more awake now, so I'm excited for the second time of giving it. Okay, so the first point this morning is this. The coming of Jesus rips open heaven. Okay, the coming of Jesus rips open heaven. That just sounds amazing. Okay, so last week we saw that tens of thousands of people were, were responding to John the Baptist's call to repentance. It says in verse 5 that all the country of Judea and Jerusalem were coming out to be baptized by him and confess their sins. There was a widespread revival as the Jewish people were realizing that they could not be right with God just because they were Jews, but they had to each personally get right with him. As John is baptizing, he tells them uh, that his message is not about him, but it's actually about the mighty one who is coming after him. And he is the one who will not just baptize with water, but baptize with the Holy Spirit. And then our narrative pivots to verse 9, where Jesus shows up, and we see that Jesus is the mighty one who's coming after John. And the text says that Jesus came from a small, insignificant town in, in northern Israel called Nazareth. Okay, so he came from the small town to be baptized by John and to show that he is the one that John's talking about. In verse 1, Mark already told us that Jesus is the Messiah and that he's the Son of God, but now we see it in the narrative as his baptism is accompanied by the ripping open of heaven, the Spirit descending on him like a dove, and the Father's voice calling him his beloved Son with whom he's well pleased. These are clear signs confirming that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is the Messiah. In fact, a Jewish writing, it's not scripture, but a Jewish writing called uh, the Testament of Levi was written in 250 BC that anticipated this event when it mentions all three of these signs accompanying the Messiah. Let's read it. It's called the Testament of Levi. It's written 250 years before Jesus comes. And he anticipates uh, what's going to happen when Jesus comes. It says, the heavens will be open, and from the temple of glory, sanctification will come upon him with a fatherly voice, as from Abraham to Isaac. And the glory of the, of the Most High shall burst forth upon him, and the spirit of understanding and sanctification shall rest upon him in the water. <sighs> For he shall give the majesty of the Lord to those who are his sons in truth forever. This is crazy. Okay, so 250, or 250 years before Jesus came, they anticipated that a Messiah would come and have heaven open over him, the Spirit would come upon him, and the Father's voice would speak all the while that he's in uh, some water. Okay, so only God, only God could inspire this person to anticipate this event. We're going to look at the significance of all three of these uh, signs today, but let's start with the tearing open of heaven. It's significant that Jesus saw the heavens being torn open. Okay, so the word for torn in the Greek is schizo. Okay, so we see this idea of the heavens being torn open in one very specific Old Testament passage. There's others as well, but, but there's one that really it's drawing from. In the Old Testament book, Isaiah, okay, in, in chapter 64, verse 1, Isaiah says this, he says, oh, that you would rend or tear open the heavens and come down that the mountains might quake at your presence. Okay, so Isaiah, he's praying that the heavens would be torn open and that God himself would come down so that the mountains would quake at his presence. Okay, so Mark, 
He's suggesting that the coming of Jesus is the fulfillment of this verse as God has come down, he's opened the heavens, and he will shake the earth in Jesus Christ. This opening of heaven is significant as Israel had not heard from God or a prophet for 400 years. God was opening up heaven once again in John the Baptist and Jesus. God's spirit was returning and God was speaking once again. And schizo is used, that word for torn open, it's used in the Greek version of the Old Testament for significant demonstrations of God's power. Perhaps most significantly, it's used in the parting of the Red Sea. Okay, so in Exodus 14, 21, it says this, then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land and the waters were torn open or divided. Okay, so last week in John the Baptist's story, if you were here, we saw uh, that Mark was pointing back to the Exodus story to say that uh, the coming of Jesus is a new Exodus from our old lives of sin to the true promised land of life with him. I can't help but think that Mark is connecting the baptism of Jesus to the Exodus story here as well. Okay, he's saying that the tearing open of heaven is like the tearing open of the Red Sea. When God split the Red Sea, he freed Israel from the bondage of Egypt and took them to the promised land on the other side. In the same way, when Jesus, the Messiah, comes, he splits open the divide between heaven and earth so that we can be freed from the bondage of our old lives and walk into right relationship with him. Just as Yahweh split the Red Sea, Jesus splits open heaven. Come on, somebody. That's a good word. Mm, I like that a lot. Okay, so what does Mark mean when he says heaven, though? And we could go on a rabbit trail here. Like, this could be a two-hour sermon just about what heaven is, but bear with me. I'm just going to give you a little bit. I'm not going to go into it too deeply, but historically, people have often thought of heaven as a place up in the sky somewhere. Like, they looked up to the skies, and they're like, hey, there's the heavens. And actually, you see a little bit of that in Scripture, but, but or they thought of heaven as a non-physical, spiritual world where we just kind of float around spiritually without bodies. And this is the picture I always had growing up, like heaven is sitting on a cloud, like hanging out with a naked baby who plays a harp or something. I'm like, I don't really want to do that. I never wanted to go to heaven. I'm like, I don't know what hell is like, but heaven kind of sounds like hell. I don't really want to float around for eternity. And this is the picture we often have, this non-physical spiritual world. And both of these pictures do their best to capture something that's just very difficult to explain. And that's why I'm going to wait 10 years to preach a sermon on it. Just kidding. We'll preach on heaven hopefully sooner than that. But the... These pictures are fundamentally wrong, though. The biblical picture of heaven and earth is not that they are two separate places within our world or even a physical world contrasted with a non-spiritual or non-physical spiritual world. Instead, they are two different kinds of what we call space and matter. They are like two different dimensions, so to speak. And if you're like, like struggling with this, I struggle with it too. But N.T. Wright says it like this. Okay, so again, the smart British guy. So he must know what he's talking about. He says this, heaven in the Bible, often means God's dimension behind ordinary reality. It's more as though an invisible curtain right in front of us was suddenly pulled back so that instead of the trees and the flowers and the buildings, or in Jesus' case, the river, the sandy desert, and the crowds, then we are standing in the presence of a different reality altogether. In other words, if, Mark could, or if God could only pull back the curtain, we could see heaven all around us. And when we see God move in history, when he does miracles, when he moves in history, it's as if heaven is breaking into earth. And that's why we pray in the Lord's Prayer. 
or your kingdom come, this idea of heaven breaking into earth. Okay, so he says it this way in, in a different book he wrote. He says, heaven and earth are though very different, not far away from one another. God's space and ours interlock and intersect in a whole variety of ways, even while they retain, for the moment at least, their separate and distinct identities and roles. And one day they will be joined in a new way, open and visible to one another, married together forever. We see this idea in the book of Revelation when the new heavens and new earth are created and they're brought together. Okay, so right, what he's saying is he's saying that heaven is not far away. It's not some distant place, but it's near. And sometimes in history, God opens heaven to us and we get a glimpse. It just takes God pulling back the curtain to what is right in front of us. This is what Jesus does. He shows us God's world and God's reality, and he brings that reality into our reality. One of the beautiful things about this passage is we see the Trinity on full display. As we got Jesus, who is God's son, we got the spirit descending on him like a dove, so God the spirit, and we got the voice, who is God the father. A couple weeks ago, we talked about how Mark uses uh, the imagery of a dove uh, very strategically to point back to creation. The only place that the Holy Spirit was referred to as a dove at this point was in the Targum, which was the Aramaic translation of the Hebrew scriptures or the Old Testament. Aramaic is the language that uh, the Jews at Mark's time would have spoke. And the rabbis translated Genesis 1, 2, and 3 in this way. This is important. It says, And the earth was without form and empty, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God fluttered above the face of the waters like a dove, and God spoke, Let there be light. Okay, so by calling the Spirit a dove here, Mark is pointing back to creation. He's saying, Hey, remember creation. This is what this is like. This moment of this baptism is like the first creation, but it's a new creation. In the creation story, we see God the Father in verse 1 when he says, and when it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we see God the Spirit in verse 2 when it says he's fluttering like a dove over the chaos of pre-creation. And then we actually meet Jesus in verse 3 when God speaks and says, let there be light. In John's gospel, Jesus is referred to as the Word of God. Okay, so when God speaks, that's uh, Jesus bringing into action. In the same way, when Jesus is baptized, we see all three members of the Trinity active, overseeing the new creation that Jesus is bringing in. When Jesus, the word of God, who brought light into the world and the first creation is baptized, heaven tears open and light bursts in once more, but this time it's new creation light. Just as Jesus brought light into the world at creation, he is bringing the light of heaven into the world once more through his new creation work. This is all imagery that Mark is pulling from. In Jesus, heaven is ripping open. God's reality is rushing into our reality. God's new creation project is underway. In Jesus, God is on a mission to set the world right and will eventually bring heaven and earth together for a new heaven and new earth at the very end. <sighs> That's good stuff. That's a lot of study right there, guys. I hope you liked it. Okay, so 10 years ago, <laughs> this fall, I saw Emily for the first time at a Kai Alpha service. And I remember... It was the greeting time during service where you're supposed to like, like do an obligatory wave at somebody or, or shake their hand. I was talking to my pastor. It's like right down here in front of the stage, talking to him. We're having a good chat. And there's like no girls there at this point in the service. There's like 10 of us. I'm like there's no women here. I'm going to a different campus ministry. But the point is my pastor uh, turns and walks this way. And then, uh, then comes Emily 
through the back doors. I'm like, let there be light, hallelujah. Heaven splits open. I'm like, there's a woman and she's pretty. And I had the thought. I said, that could be my wife. And I thought that about a lot of girls back then, but hey, this time it was right. (laughs) The point is a whole new reality was open to me. My life changed forever from that encounter. And you better know that I met her during that greeting time. I was like, hello, hey, what up, girl? All right, in the same way. In the coming of Jesus, heaven is ripped open to the world. After 400 years of heavenly silence, God speaks again, and he brings the one into the world who can set everything right. As his followers in 2021, we are called to rip open heaven over dark situations on earth. We're called to share the good news about Jesus with our friends and hope that God might pull back the curtain, so to speak, and help them see him. We're called to love the least of these and those who are down and out in hopes that they might realize that heaven is actually closer than they know. And we're called to bring God's reality into this one and speak his words over those we come into contact with. After the heavens are torn open, we see the other two members of the Trinity spring into action. Okay, the first thing we see is the Spirit descending. In verse 10 again, I'll read it again. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. Okay, so second point, if you're taking notes, as heaven rips open, the spirit of God descends in power. Okay, so uh, the heavens rip open and the Holy Spirit descends descends on Jesus like a dove. The amount of heavenly activity in this scene is absolutely staggering given the recent history of Israel. God had not said a word in 400 years, and now all of heaven was breaking loose. A new era had dawned. Before, the Holy Spirit used to only come upon prophets, priests, and kings for special occasions. But now the Spirit was coming on the Messiah, who, if you remember in verse 8, will baptize his followers in the Holy Spirit. This was yet another way that Mark is showing that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Son of God. Mark is drawing from Isaiah 42, where Isaiah says that the Messiah will have God's spirit on him. Okay, so chapter 42, verse one, it says, behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. The son of God, the divine servant who would rescue Israel was here, and God was showing that by empowering him with the Holy Spirit. Just as Jesus had a profound moment with the Spirit here, I really believe that God wants all of us to have these moments with the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's not going to be like heaven tearing open and a dove coming to rest on your shoulder, but, but these moments where the Spirit of God empowers you. And 10 years ago this fall, that was a very eventful fall. I had just met Emily like a month before this. I was filled with the Holy Spirit for the first time. So something that Daniel was talking about a bit. I experienced the tangible empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And it's actually in the same place that uh, Daniel experienced it this last week. It's the same uh, retreat center. So pretty cool. But when this happened, God gave me a vision in my mind's eye of a room on campus at UNI being filled up with students who wanted to worship Jesus. And the picture was like, students being, being full in this little auditorium and sitting on the stairs. It's just a clear picture. I felt like God was saying that he wanted me to give my life to see that happen, to see students that UNI reached. It's kind of crazy because then God called me to transfer away from you and I for a while. And I was like, that's probably never going to happen. That must have just been something I thought of on my own. But then I came back to lead Kaiapha, as I talked about when I was 22. And after a year 
of leading Chi Alpha, I got to see that exact vision come true as students filled up that room as they were sitting on the stairs. It was an incredible moment. I remember, you can go back and listen to the podcast. It's still on there. I was not a good preacher, but I, I, I don't know if I'm good now, but I definitely wasn't good then. But you go back and you listen. I'm like overwhelmed. You can hear me like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And for all the students are like, what are you talking about? But, uh, but I was only 23, so yeah, give me grace. But anyways, the point is it happened. And, and during our time in Chi Alpha, we got to see 88 different students get baptized in water. That was when I was the director. Now that, that number has climbed over 100 as Derek has been leading Chi Alpha for the last year. And I truly believe that that number will grow to 1,000 students at some point who are baptized in water. I really believe it. Every year we're, we're gaining momentum. The students are gonna be back here in about, I think, four weeks. I believe God's gonna do something significant on the campus this year. I'm very excited for that. But, uh, but not only that, but there's been hundreds of students who have put their faith in Jesus. There's been a dozen who have been called into full-time ministry. Some of them serve on our staff. Actually, all of our whole staff were called into ministry in Chi Alpha. And none of this would have been possible without the Spirit of God descending like a dove and not only empowering me, it's not just about me, but empowering the entire ministry of Chi Alpha and now the ministry of Sent Church. With the empowerment of the Spirit here in our passage, Jesus is preparing to go into battle to rescue the world. This is Jesus' rite of passage from just being a carpenter waiting in the wings to officially being launched out on a mission to save the world. In the same way, Jesus offers each of us the opportunity to receive and be filled with the Holy Spirit and be launched out on mission, like whether that be to your workplace or to your family or to your friends or your neighborhood, but, but to be filled with the Spirit and launched out on mission. And when we come to faith in Christ, the Spirit of God dwells on the inside of our hearts, and he's available to guide and lead us. He's available to every single believer in Jesus. But Jesus doesn't want us to, uh, just to have the Spirit. He wants us to be overwhelmed and immersed with the Spirit so that we can reach our friends with his love. We each need moments where the Spirit marks us and fills us for mission. We need those encounters with God to empower us to go out and reach our friends. In Acts 1.8, it says this. Jesus said this right before he left earth. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We each need this power. If Jesus needed it, we surely need it, right? We need this power, and all we must do is wait on Jesus and ask him to give us the power. Okay, there's one more thing that happens when the heavens are open, and I think this is the best part of the message. So I hope you hear this part. I, I think this is most important for our discussion. In Mark 1:11, it says this, and a voice came from heaven, and it said, you are my beloved son, and with you I am well pleased. Okay, third and final point. As heaven rips open, the Father speaks love. As heaven rips open, the Father speaks love. Okay, we've seen that the heavens open, the spirit descends, and now the Father speaks. And this is a significant moment. In the Old Testament, there were two threads about God's coming to rescue Israel that Mark pulls together in this passage. Okay, so one of the threads, bear with me on this, one of the threads was the idea that the Messiah would be a servant who suffers on behalf of the people of Israel and obeys God even when it's hard. It, the passages even suggest that this Messiah will die for the people. He, he will suffer. He will bear their sins on himself. We see this very specifically in Isaiah 53, but, but this also comes from Isaiah 42, which is the passage we already looked at, where God's Messiah receives the Spirit. The passage goes on to describe a Messiah who is a servant, and he achieves justice for the nations, uh, not by force, but by faithfulness, 
and by suffering under God's direction. Okay, so I think the verse is on the screen if it wasn't already, but this idea that there's a servant who's, uh, who he has chosen, who the Spirit is on. Okay, so Mark's already, we already talked about that passage and how Mark connects it to that, but, but there's also another Old Testament thread about the Messiah that Mark is pulling from where uh, the Messiah is a king who is also God's own son. In 2 Samuel 7, God promised King David that he would have a son whose kingdom would be established forever and that someone have a unique father-son relationship with God. In 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 14, it says here, it says, when your days are fulfilled, he's talking to David, and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his, or his kingdom and he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I did that in the first service. Hardly anyone laughed. I got one more laugh this time. Good job. Okay. <laughs> you never know how these are going to go. Okay, so I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Okay, if you read the Old Testament, the kings did not fulfill this. They were not kings forever. They actually got dominated by foreign powers. They did not do what they were supposed to do. So as the monarchy failed in this, this idea of a son of David ruling forever began to be tied to a messiah. And this Messiah would not only be uh, David's son, but he would be God's son, and he would redeem Israel, and he would redeem the world. Okay, so Mark, what he's doing is he's connecting this thread in the Old Testament to Jesus by quoting from Psalm 2-7. Okay, so Psalm 2-7, I'm almost done with this, so bear with me, but Psalm 2-7, it says, I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son, and today I have forgotten you. Okay, so why is this important? Well, this psalm was read when a new king was put on the throne in Israel. And Mark is pointing to this text. So by pointing to this text, Mark makes clear that Jesus is God's true son and Messiah who would set the world right and he would rule the world. Okay, so by pointing back to both Isaiah 42 with the suffering servant and Psalm 2 with God's son who's king, Mark is saying that Jesus is both God's suffering servant and the son who rules. In the Old Testament, it's not even 100% clear that this person is the same person. But in Jesus, both of these Old Testament threads come together. Mark is saying that Jesus will come to set the world right as both a king and a servant. He won't achieve victory for God by taking down Rome and setting up a new earthly kingdom, but he will do so by suffering and dying for the sins of the world. And then after his resurrection, ascending to the right hand of God to rule and reign. He will do what Israel and what Israel's kings could not do by obeying God even when it was hard and by overcoming the forces of sin and evil, not by dealing with the external problem of foreign powers, but with the internal problem of wicked hearts. Jesus is able to not just be God's son in name, but is able to actually live out the calling of God's son by truly obeying and rescuing the world. He loves God with his whole heart. He obeys God completely, and he is a light to the nations. Jesus is the faithful Israelite. He is the king that Israel in the world always needed. And now, in this part is where I think it's gonna get good. Now, when we trust in Jesus, when we trust in Jesus, his perfect life, his sacrifice for sins, and his defeat of death is given to us. We receive his righteousness. We receive forgiveness of sins and we receive eternal life. And when God looks at us now, he sees us just as he saw Jesus in those baptism waters, his beloved sons and daughters with whom he is well pleased. 
The apostles, they came to understand this idea even more fully in their epistles, which are in the back part of the New Testament, when they reflected on Jesus' life and ministry. In Colossians 3, 3, Paul says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Okay, so when you die to your old life, you put your faith in Jesus, you go through the Red Sea, so to speak, to the other side, to life with Jesus. Your life gets hidden with Christ in God. Jesus' life covers you. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Because Jesus took on sin, we can take on his righteousness. As I said at the beginning of this message, when we trust in the Messiah, what is true of him becomes true of us. Our relationship with God is completely restored to one of a father and son or a father and a daughter. In John 1, 12, John says this, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We can finally be God's true sons and daughters who have intimacy with him and actually live like him. We can finally be what Israel was supposed to be. God's sons and daughters who are righteous before him, who obey him and who reach the world with his love. Mm. All right, this week I was scrolling through Facebook, which I think a lot of us do because we live on earth. And it's what humans like to do in their free time these days. I was scrolling through and I saw this, this little share pop up. My mom shared it. And I was like, I'm not going to read it. It's probably sappy. And I'm like, I'm not reading it. Don't read it. And then I said, because he's your son, I'm like, okay, it's about me, so I, I better read it. So I start to read this little, this little, it's a little bit cheesy, mom, but this little post. And, uh, and I'm thinking, okay, I don't want to feel weird. I, I don't want to read this, but I, I, I read it, okay? And it's up on the screen. It says something along the lines of when you're caring for your son when he's little and he looks up at you and smiles, you think to yourself, it doesn't get any better than this. I'm like, okay, mom, come on. And then it goes on to say, but it does get better than this because he grows up and becomes a good man and a good friend and his smile still lights up your world. And when I first saw that post, again, I was tempted to just skim past it because it seemed a little bit cheesy and I didn't want to feel weird that day. I just wanted to have a normal day with no emotions. Now, honestly, I don't typically read Facebook shares like that, but I took the time to slow down and read it and for whatever reason, it just really resonated with me. Partially because I have little kids now and I have those moments described in the first paragraph almost every day but it also resonated with me because I felt affirmed. I know that my mom was thinking of me when she shared this. Not my other brothers, but me. I'm kidding. (laughs) She was certainly thinking of my other brothers too. But I knew she was thinking about me a little bit, at least part of it, at least one third, she was thinking of me. And the key part for me is when she says that her sons are good men. Okay, so if you know anything about personality assessment, stuff like that, there's something called the Enneagram. I won't get into it today, but point is I'm a type one on the Enneagram. And their basic need is to feel like they are good, okay? That's like my main driver in life. Most things I do is because I'm trying to be good, okay? That's what I want. Some people want to be loved. Some people uh, want to be useful. There's, there's different needs. But for me, it's to be good. And when I read that my mom thought I was good, it just punched me right in the gut. I'm not going to lie. A tear trickled down my cheek as I was driving down the road, which I shouldn't have been looking at my phone. I, I bet I was at a stoplight, but uh, so I bet. So... As I said at the beginning of this sermon, one of the most basic human desires is to be affirmed by and connected with your parents. We long to hear the ones who raised us or created us say that they are proud of us. And as much as we might have rocky relationships with our parents, we still long for them to be proud. And what's beautiful about Jesus 
is he makes this possible for everyone who calls on him. He makes it possible for the creator of everything, our heavenly father who knew us before we were in our mother's womb, to look at us and say, you are my beloved daughter, or you are my beloved son, and with you I am well pleased. Because Jesus lived as the true son of God, we can all now be God's sons and daughters. We can take on his identity. Because Jesus was the true beloved one, we can now also be beloved by God. With the inauguration of Jesus' ministry and his baptism, he rips open heaven. His baptism foreshadows that Jesus will give us the power we need in the Holy Spirit and give us the love we need in right relationship with our Heavenly Father. But there's a lot that's gonna happen in the Gospel of Mark before we get there. There's a lot that's gonna happen before his crucifixion and his resurrection. We'll see in the meantime, which I don't know when we'll get there, it'll be a while, we'll see that, that Jesus will live a life of power as he knows he's God's son, he, he lives a life of power, a life of perfect relationship with him, and he obeys God even when, he's, or even when it's hard, even when he doesn't want to. And the hope is that as we go through the gospel, Mark, that each of us will identify with Jesus and have, and have his life imparted into ours as we read. We want what's true of Jesus to be true of us. We want the way he lived to be the way we live. We wanna be people who obey God even when it's hard. And that's the journey we're on. We're on a journey of becoming people who truly live as God's sons and daughters and push back darkness in the world as we obey him uh, no matter what he asks us to do. Okay, so with that said, the main idea this morning is this. With Jesus, heaven is open and we can receive the power and love we've always needed. With Jesus, heaven is open and we can receive the power and love we've always needed. I don't know what brought you to church today. Maybe you're here because you feel obligated. You know, maybe you haven't been to church in a bit or something and you're like, hey, I gotta go today. Or, or maybe a, a friend drug you here. Or maybe you're just kind of checking things out. Or maybe you really wanna be here. I don't know what your story is or why you're here. I do know that no matter what brought you here, God wants to speak to you. You know that God has you here right now because I believe he wants to talk to you. If, if God would send Jesus across the heavens and into earth to, to live and die and rise again, if he could do all that to save us, he certainly wants to speak to us today as we gather in his house. You know, many of you have went through life not knowing what God thinks of you. You don't really wanna hear from God because you don't wanna hear what he has to say. Like you don't want to hear the conversation going on in heaven about you because you might be discouraged if you heard it. That, that's what you thought. You think that God is holding out on you or he's waiting to have a relationship with you until you clean up your life. The, the beautiful thing about the gospel of Jesus the Messiah is we don't have to figure everything out before we can be called God's beloved. We don't have to figure everything out before we would want to overhear what God is saying about us in heaven. We don't have to clean up our lives before God can call us son or daughter. All you must do is trust in the Messiah and what is true of him becomes true of you. So maybe you came in here today and you need to hear God say, this is my beloved son or this is my beloved daughter and with this son or daughter, I am well pleased. Maybe you need to hear that today. And if that's you, all you gotta do is trust in Jesus and what's true of him will become true of you. Or maybe you need the power of the Holy Spirit like Jesus had. 
You are struggling to overcome sin. You're struggling to share your faith. You're struggling to be the man or woman that God has called you to be. If you're a follower of Jesus already, you have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of your heart. He is available to guide you and lead you. But Jesus can also baptize you in the Holy Spirit today. He can give you more power. He can immerse you even more so with his life. All you must do is seek him and say, Jesus, I need you. I need the filling of the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus has come, heaven is open. Because God decided not to leave us in the way we were, because he decided to come across space and time to invade this world with the person of Jesus, because of that, heaven is open. And this is good news. God can speak to us today. The Holy Spirit can empower us today. God can tell us that he loves us even while we were still sinners. While before we were powerless, we can now have the Holy Spirit. While before we felt unlovable, we can truly be loved. And it all traces back to that baptism where God first spoke it over Jesus. Even while we know that we are more flawed and sinful than we could ever imagine, God can say to us that we are more loved than we could ever dream. That's the reality. That's what this story tells us today. Heaven is open, and this can change everything. Let's let it change us today. Let's ask God to do that. So if you want to stand to your feet, we're going to pray and close out here. And there's two ways to respond this morning, okay? So the first way is this. If you came in today and you are not in right relationship with God, if you are not God's son or daughter yet because you haven't been given the right to become a child of God because you haven't put your trust in Jesus yet, I wanna give you a chance to do that. There's no magic formula. There's no 10-step thing on how to get saved. It's simply throwing all your weight into Jesus and saying, I trust you. It's simply trusting the Messiah. And as you trust the Messiah, what is true of him becomes true of you. You become God's sons and daughters. So if you wanna bow your heads and close your eyes, I wanna give you a chance to respond to that. So if you're here and you are not in right relationship with Jesus or you once were and you walked away, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna count to three. And when I do it, if you want to put your trust in Jesus, I just want to encourage you to slip up your hand to heaven. Say, Jesus, I put my trust in you. Jesus, I ask you to save me. I ask you to make me your son or daughter. So on three, slip up your hands all across this room. One, two, three, slip them up. See those hands? See that hand? See that hand? Is there anyone else in this room this morning? All right, you can put your hands down. I'm just going to pray a simple prayer. And all you got to do is just say, Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, I repent of my old ways. I, I put my hope in you, and he will be faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and invite you into relationship with him. Okay, so Jesus, this morning we come to you, and we say that we trust you. Messiah, we trust you. You have come to save us. You have come to part the Red Sea and to bring us to the other side. And this morning, God, we turn from our old ways. We turn from the ways of Egypt. We turn from our old life. We repent. And God, we ask you to forgive us. And we thank you that forgiveness is possible because you gave your life for ours. And God, we pray that as we trust you, that Jesus' life would be imparted into us and we would become the righteousness of God, as 2 Corinthians 5 says. Jesus, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for not leaving us in our filth, but coming for us and saving us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, there's one more way to respond. If you already have put your faith in Jesus, I want to give you a chance to to have a moment with God. If 
If you want to not just be God's son or God's daughter in name, but you want to truly live out a life of a son or daughter of God, if you truly want to live out a life of holiness and power and love, God wants to meet you today. And he wants to empower you with the Holy Spirit to help you to live that life. Okay, so what I want you to do is just above your hands in front of you like this, or you can put them up however you're comfortable. And I want to pray for you. And just ask that the Holy Spirit would descend on us like a dove, descend on this room, and give us the power to be his sons and daughters, not just in name, and not just in the sense of having salvation, but being God's sons and daughters in the power, in the way we live. So Jesus, right now, we ask you for your power. We need your help to be your sons and daughters, God. We need your help to live the life you called us to live. Jesus, we need your help to obey you even when it's hard. We need your help to to follow your example and to live lives as servants. We need your help, Jesus. Help us to be your sons and daughters, not just in name, but in the way we live. In Jesus' name, amen.